Hey, it's great to have you back again listening to this week's episode. Now, as you can perhaps hear from my voice, I have a cold. I tend to get these in wintertime, particularly when I visit family and friends in Ireland. And that's exactly what's happened. I've got this uh, uh, deep voice this week. But uh, anyway, it's, it's still me. And I'd like to thank you again for listening to what is perhaps the last episode of this year. And it's a cracker because this week I'm speaking with Sarah Furness. And Sarah is a former military pilot. She's female. And she's someone who has made a business from relating through training and keynotes the experiences that she's had. And there's a surprising number of audiences that want to hear this kind of message. Sarah's not the first person I've had on the show with a military background who then has progressed into training or facilitation or coaching. We've had at least three people, and we're going to have more coming up, in fact, very soon. And I've also got family who've served in the military, and I'm always intrigued by how many of them transition extremely well into running their own businesses, perhaps because they've got that structured background, they've learned about the discipline of planning, and they also have a great message which people want to know. And it's not surprising, therefore, that many people who've come from the military end up sharing messages or developing programs specifically on the topic of leadership. And that's what Sarah's doing today. I had the pleasure of attending the National Sales Conference in the UK several weeks ago, and Sarah was a keynote speaker at that event. So I, of course, approached her and said, would you like to be a guest on the show? So you're in for a great episode today. You'll learn a couple of things about the experiences that Sarah's had, the things that made her decide to actually become a keynote speaker and the amazing amount of business that she's generating from just that line of work. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's my pleasure and privilege to host this show every single Thursday. Without fail, we've got someone on the show, a guest. Sometimes it's just me, but most of the time we have a guest on the show to share their ideas, insights, and inspiration. And if you're someone who's thinking of starting a business by developing products and services based upon your experience, your expertise, your knowledge, you're in the right place because people who've been on the show or listen to the show are just like you and me. They're people who have perhaps decided to start their own consultancy or facilitation workshop program or create something like a book or a keynote and monetize it. And the emphasis on this show is about business. And that's why we do our most, our best to, to get guests on the show who can share their business experiences and lessons. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. I missed your talk recently, and uh, I'm so sorry I did, but I, I was intrigued by a couple of things. First of all, your background. I've had a couple of people on the show from um, with the military armed services, armed forces background. Um, Leslie Riley, back in December 31st, 2001, who is a former captain in the U.S. Army, uh, who flew Chinook transport helicopters, was a guest on the show and went on to explain how she made the transition from um, the Air Force in the US into becoming a leadership trainer. I'm curious, in your case, after two decades in the Royal Air Force, what made you feel you wanted to 
transition into becoming a speaker, someone who makes a living from sharing a message and perhaps some IP to help people with uh, challenges around performance and so on? Yes, absolutely. I think there was a little bit of an evolution. So I think, first of all, towards the end of my career, I realized I was very fascinated in working out how people work. And I got into the kind of human factors and human performance side of things towards the end. And I think my own personal journey as well, I'd been through a few ups and downs. And I'd actually discovered mindfulness. And I left the Air Force with the intention of becoming a mindfulness coach. Um, And that was kind of the start of it. Um, But it evolved fairly quickly because I realized, um, well, you know, we're talking about business here, aren't we? You know, Mm. harder to sell (laughs) than it was to sell the military stories. And I realized that I was attracting um, customers because they wanted to hear about the military side. Um, And I actually remember one of my very first um, customers was a GB boxer. And he said, I want you to teach me mindfulness because I want to know how to stay calm when I get punched in the face. (laughs) 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 And I remember thinking, I don't know how to teach that. And he said, but you must know because you've been to war and you've been shot at. Um, And I thought, well, I suppose I do know that. So I think the first thing I learned was to respond to what people were coming to me for. And they weren't actually coming to me for mindfulness. They were coming to me because they they believed that I knew how to thrive under pressure and they wanted me to, to share that with them. So that's interesting, that, that phrase, thriving under pressure. Just to set some context here, without going into or, or um, divulging anything from uh, transgressing operational security, which we'll not do, obviously, <laughs> uh, um, you, you literally were shot at. I mean, you've been in situations, life or death situations, delivering, um, involved in, in, in delivering uh, people and, and, I guess, material uh, in war zones. That must be really intense as an experience. Yes, it is. I mean, I think the, the funny thing is you don't know what you don't know and you don't kind of realise that it's quite extraordinary because everyone else is getting shot at, at the same time as you. So I think it's, I had to leave the military to realise why people would look at that and go, wow. And, you know, if people are looking at you with, and you kind of command this credibility, I suppose. And I guess, you know, I have learned to be able to keep my nerve. I think it gives you a confidence actually, which is very useful in business because you just sort of know, well, you know, no one's dying. Um, so it gives you confidence and perspective. Um, and I realized that those were actually very transferable skills, which also really help you to stay resilient when you're kind of out there um, selling yourself, I suppose. Mm. I've had some people on the show who've been through, you could say, hell and back. Um, they've been in really difficult situations, personal, um, operational, I've also had some top sports people on the show. Um, and Adrian Morehouse comes to mind. He was one of the swimmers for Team GB, won an Olympic medal. And I'm often interested how people who've come from a situation that um, um, is quite tough, they've, they've been through a lot and they feel that the next thing to do is to share the story. Did you feel that? urge to say, well, I've come from this um, really unusual background where I've been in life or death scenarios. I think I can help people now. And the way to do that is to craft a message and and get on the speaker circuit. Yes, I do. And I think also I had to learn a bit because um, when I left, you know, it's actually my, my well-being had, you know, taken a bit of a nosedive. And I think that's where I sort of discovered mindfulness and it helped me to get through some quite dark times. So actually when I left, in some ways, it wasn't a particularly altruistic purpose I had. I wanted to fix everyone 
because in some ways that was my own healing. Um, but I quickly realized that, um, you know, you will know this in business, if you're in it for yourself, you don't, people can kind of tell. So you're not standing on a stage kind of emotionally vomiting over people and doing your own public therapy session. You've got to, I, I, I realized that I have to work out, I have to distill what the value is for the person listening and then kind of give it to them in a processed way. So I remember someone saying, you know, what you share is processed emotions. So I think I Mm. did definitely feel a big, strong urge to share, but I realized that I had a sort of duty to make sure that that was, it wasn't just me doing it for my own sake. And I could actually deliver it in a way that people could actually get some value from it. Okay. So we segue then from, um, the Royal Air Force RAF into self-employment. What was that like? That that um, moving from what would be, and I have friends in the in the in the army who who came from a very, you could say, structured environment, very traditional mm-hmm. uh, theory X organization, you know, hierarchical, uh, quite based upon routine and uh, and rank. Uh, command structures to all of a sudden now where you are everything. You have to work for yourself, design your own programs, do your own taxes, do your own marketing, do your own sales without any support. What was that like? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think because I set my company up in COVID, oh. it was not that it wasn't like one day I was in the Air Force, next day I was, you know, running my own business. I had a bit more of a transition, I think, because mm. we've all been working from home and discovering this thing called Zoom. And so I think everybody was learning on their feet at this point. And um, and I think in some ways that gave me a gentler transition into business because I was able to test out a lot of my stuff virtually in the virtual world before I was doing kind of face-to-face things. So I think that did help. Um, but in terms of kind of going from structure to being kind of, you know, quite autonomous, mm. um, you know, I think I was ready for it. Actually, I think I needed that. Um, I can absolutely see why running a business is not for everyone who's been in the military. Um, I think in some ways, I'd always felt a little bit like a round peg in a square hole. So um, this was actually quite nice that I didn't have to try and fit in anywhere <laughs> anymore. So I think personally, it was it was the best thing I've ever done. And it's been really good for my kind of personal growth. And I've I think I've really enjoyed that change. But I can... Um, I think it's a really good point that you raise and, you know, it might not be for everyone. Some people really don't adjust that well because they actually like that structure. So these days you are a speaker and you help people in a range of ways. You are a best-selling author of a book called Fly Hire. How did you go about marketing yourself so that you said to speaker bureaus, look, I'm available. This is my message in other words, without speaking experience, what did you have to do to be able to understand that um, you have some kind of uh, keynote or keynotes which people don't just want to hear, they want to pay for? Yes, uh, that's the, literally the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I got help. You know, I joined associations like the Professional Speaking Association. I worked with a speaker coach, and I don't mean learning how to give speeches, but learning how to sell my speeches. Um, and I, you know, again, this is where I got the lesson very quickly. It's not actually about standing up and talking about yourself, although that's what it looks like. It's about what's in it for them. You know, what are they, what do people need to hear? And I think there's a few things I suppose that I use as a guide route, you know, what problem am I solving for them? You know, so have they got a problem with blame culture, for example, well, I can tell a story that kind of brings that to life and gives them some takeaway tools. So I think 
those kind of working with those people to give me that kind of framework to know what kind of speech they needed. Um, I think the other thing is like some telltale things is at the end of the speech, I'm aiming for someone to sort of come up to me and say, the people in my team need to hear this. So, you know, you're, and they, they often want someone from the outside world to come in and say something that they already kind of feel that needs to be heard. But for some reason, an external person has got that credibility. So those are a couple of things that I use to make sure that the speech is sellable is, you know, what problem am I solving? Or would someone else go, this person has got to hear this, in which case, you know, that you're onto something. Right. So it sounds like the speech is an entry point to work beyond the stage. And so it's a nice segue or I guess lead magnet. So people hear your talk and then say, can you come and talk to us or my team, our company about this thing? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I kind of worked out, you know, before you write the speech, you say, what, what is the outcome I want from the speech? And what you want the outcome to be is you get more speeches. So every time you speak, I think my business model is every time I speak, the more I speak, the more I speak. But that means you've got to get the speech right to make sure that people want to hear it again. So what advice would you give to people who have this urge to be on stage? Now, it's, I, I would say, I wouldn't say it's easy, but certainly if in your case, what you have is, is almost a unique background, quite distinctive. In fact, um, female uh, military helicopter pilot. I mean, that's diff- definitely different, right? Um, if someone hasn't got that differentiating factor, but they feel they have something which they could craft and, and sell on stage, um, that's quite daunting starting from scratch. What advice would you give them to begin? Oh, yeah, that's, um, um, there's a number of directions I can go in with this. I would definitely okay. say you don't have to do this alone. I worked out this stuff because I worked with other speakers, like, like I say, a professional speaking association, or yeah. I worked with coaches. I got peer reviewed. So I was very lucky to meet John Peters quite early on in my career. And he was um, shot down in the Gulf War and he's made a 30 year career out of speaking. So obviously knows a thing mm. or two about this. And he listened to one of my first speeches, which I imagine was brilliant. And he sat down and gave me, you know, a very kind, but firm debrief and went, it's not about you, Sarah, it's about them. So I think putting yourself in that world where you can get that feedback, because I think a lot of the time you don't know what your message is until you kind of start. You know, I've, I started out thinking I was going to be talking about fear of rejection because that was my personal thing. And I've now realized that actually people need to hear about just culture or learning from mistakes. So I think you kind of have to just start, but surround yourself with, you know, an ability to get feedback. And generally the audience won't give you feedback. They'll just tell you that you're wonderful, which is lovely. So actually you need feedback from peers <laughs> and from other, other speakers, I think. So I think that would be my advice is, is, you know, work with other speakers. On your website, rather on your LinkedIn profile, you've got, I won't name them all, but you've got quite a few um, instances of speaking organizations are there and uh, you've got different bureaus you're a member of. How did you find out which ones to sign up to and we have to talk about money. I won't ask you to name your yeah. prices or anything, but um, for people speaking, is there a kind of a price range that, uh, I mean, would be attractive to start with? I've heard people, for example, say to me in the States, you know, if you're not raising or challenging an agency or a, a, an event organizer looking for at least 5,000, then it's not really um, a good day's work. And then other people I know are 10 times that in one day. Yeah. Uh, so let me start with the first question. How did you know which agencies to approach and um, wh- what do they look for in, in someone like you? 
Yeah. Okay. So um, I worked for, I'm going to, she's not paying me to say this, but I worked with this lady called Maria Franzoni. So she helped me um, to get bureau ready so that I had a website, I had a showreel, I had all the things that I needed to be able to approach an agency. And Maria then, Franzoni. Maria Franzoni. Okay. And she told me to also pay attention to what other successful speakers were doing and which bureaus were booking them. And then she, I would literally kind of see a post on LinkedIn with a speaker who was, you know, talking about performance, say, which is also in my field. And then I would, you know, email the the bureau and go, oh, here that you booked so-and-so. I also talk about this. If you're ever looking for a speaker in the future who talks about this, you know, please, you know, can I send you my bio type thing? So there's that way of doing it. You can, a lot of these things, you can just apply, you know, all these, most bureaus have a website where you can just apply. I think it's always slightly better to do a warm intro because they've got so many speakers on their books. Um, and you can do that just by kind of paying attention to what other people in your field are doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't recommend highly enough working with a speaker coach um, who knows the business. So Maria used to run her own bureau. So she knows the business and she knows how to get people bureau ready. So I did some of her courses and she kind of really did um, kind of put me on the map. She really helped me to to do all that stuff. Okay. And then when it comes to working with them, I guess they will come to you and say, we have an event coming up and they'll book you for that. And then there's a split, obviously, in terms of the fees and so on. Um, What else would someone need to know to be bureau ready? Um, So, yeah, I think a couple of things, I suppose. When a bureau puts you forward for an event, you won't be the only speaker. Mm-hmm. They might put three or four or five. So just, you know, I remember the first time I got an, an inquiry, I thought, oh, that's it. But actually you get loads that you don't get because you're an unknown quantity. So the more you can have little YouTube videos of you in action, or even just you face the camera, because I know it's hard to get pictures, you know, stuff of you in action if you haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. But the more when the, they then go, oh, I want to suggest Sarah Furness, and they can go onto my website and go into YouTube and see stuff and go, oh yeah, we like that. So to have this kind of library of stuff, that gives the clients something to peruse before they actually go, yeah, we'll go with them, really helps you to get to be the one that gets across the line. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, the bureaus are really your clients. It's not the audience or the even mm. the person that books you. So establish a really good relationship. If you've got one or two bureaus you start out with, brilliant, because that's only one or two bureaus you've got to really kind of focus your love on. But establish a really good relationship, be really easy to work with. Um, you know, I generally send them chocolates every time that they get me something, you know, because they're, they're giving me all my work. So I want them to love me. <laughs> I want them to remember <laughs> me and think that I'm a nice person to work with. So, you know, really, really, I prioritize the relationships with the bureaus because I know that they're the ones that are thinking of me when a client comes to them, then they're remembering me and they're working hard to get me um, work. So, you know, they're, they're priceless to me. That's an excellent point. So the audience members, are your consumers, but they're not your clients. Your clients really are the companies, the the, the, the agencies, the bureaus that that book you and put you on stage in the first place. Yes. If we think then to, well, let me ask you a very simple question. This is full-time income, right? Yes. Okay. Um, do you have other income streams in the form of books? Because many of our listeners are authors. They have online content, which they sell. They have uh, retreats. Uh, is is yours just purely speaking or do you have other irons in the fire, so to speak? Uh, so that's a great question. I also do training in terms okay. of shops and that's where, you know, I came up with this habits thing, which mm-hmm. um, the long-term strategy is 
to make that the kind of the Sarah Furness brand, which then hopefully okay. at some point I can get people to come in and do and that, you know, therefore I'll be making money while I sleep type thing. At the moment, I'm paid for my time, um, as I'm sure most listeners are. So yes, I do do the training and that's the kind of the longer term plan. Um, and I have got a book. It doesn't make me any money at all. But what I do use it as is anytime I get an inquiry, I just say, hey, look, could I send you a copy of my book as a thank you? And then they've got something with my name on the front and my details in the back. And then they might read it. And then a year later, go, actually, chapter two said this. So I tend to use my book as a as a business card, basically. Mm. And I'm sure lots of people do this already. If I get booked for something, I'll take a couple of books along. Um, and it's just a way of, you know, even if they don't read it, they've got something on their bookshelf, which is... Um, easy for them to reach for. So that's, I tend to sort of use that as my marketing um, and my goodwill as opposed to my revenue stream. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. People have said sometimes that uh, a book is a $25 lead magnet. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> it's just a business card with lots of pages. Um, talk to me about the, the habits framework, because that's quite interesting. What gave you the urge to say, I want to create IP, something that you know, is outside of me. It's something which I can monetize. I could bring in trainers to certify and then, which you alluded to, they could then, you know, train their stuff on my behalf, which is a form of passive income. Yeah. So again, this was something Maria told me to do. <laughs> they haven't got the message yet. If you're interested in making career out speaking, please look up Maria Franzoni. But she said, you know, look, um, you know, everyone, every good speaker or every good trainer has got their own kind of mnemonic um mm. you know at, at the one i think of is teacup thinking correctly under pressure which was clive uh, woodward's thing but she oh, said yeah. you've got to have your own mnemonic and um i sort of just i just went oh okay fine and i kind of did what did what she said really um but i think um now what that is is rather than lots of speakers when they do training will talk about len kearney's model they'll talk about you know transactional analysis and that's all great because this is all good stuff and don't get me wrong, my habits method isn't necessarily, I haven't come up with anything completely new, but I've put it together in my own personal way. And I hope that that means that at some point people will go, I like that habits method. Um, and we don't need Sarah to deliver it. Because at the moment, when you're a speaker on the stage, they want you, which is lovely, um, but you can only do one thing at a time. Um, when you've got a method Lots of people can deliver that. Um, and that's the kind of the, the the long game. And I suppose that's why I'm actually writing book two, which will be the habits method. And I'm hoping that I can use that to kind of just grow the business and then be more than just one a one-man band. Right. So you could have that book explaining how the method works and, and cases in business where your IP can help solve problems and then people could be certified to train that on your behalf. That sounds nice, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, so it's having, I guess, multiple streams. It's it's the time for time uh, for pounds or dollars equation, which is your time on stage when people want to buy you, but you want some kind of income stream which uh, gives you income even when you're not on stage, and that would be in the case of you, it's habits or the framework. Yeah. Okay. Final question then. What is the next year ahead for you? What, what are you hoping to achieve with your business? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I'll be honest, I could probably be a little clearer on that because um, mm. I've been responding to what, so I've been responding to what I 
feel is gaining traction. So for example, I've been developing one part of my speech, which is about learning from mistakes. And I see that that is capturing a lot of people's imagination. So I'm now thinking maybe this needs to be my new direction. My new focus is, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is I need to work out if there's a pivot that's coming in terms of, you know, my, my key message. Also just in terms of reach next year is becoming a bit of a global year. I'm going to New Zealand um, in the Easter actually to see a friend, but with, you know, she's uh, well connected. So I'm hoping that I can just start to kind of show that I've got international reach really just for the credibility, I suppose, um, because actually the further you go, the less gigs you can do. So it's not necessarily mm. that I would make you know more money out of it, but hopefully in the long run, it's just turning the, the Sarah Furness, the habits method into a kind of global brand, I suppose. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, always good to see if you can combine a nice long haul <laughs> trip <laughs> with business. Fantastic. Um, Sarah, where can people find out more about you if you want to mention links, books, and so on? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, I've got a couple of websites, but if you go to sarahfurness.com, that's probably the easiest one to remember. And that's really my speaker website. Um, my book is called Fly Higher. And that's actually about mindfulness, just, just so people are aware. So it's kind of more of a coaching um, thing. And um, I do hang out on LinkedIn a lot. If anyone wants to come and connect with me, I tend to spout out lots of things on LinkedIn a few times a week. So I'd love to know what you, uh, what you think. Um, do please give me some feedback. Sarah, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. My sincere thanks to Sarah for being my guest this week on the show. And you can check out Sarah's keynote profile and all links to this week's show will be provided over on the episode specific page on www.trainingbusiness.com. I'd like to thank you for your support and listenership this year in 2023. And depending when you're listening to this, it's either 2024 or still 2023. Either way, I'd like to thank you and encourage you please to subscribe and to sign up for new episodes as they come out on your podcast platform of choice every single Thursday, free of charge. Until next year or next episode, whichever comes first, look after yourself, family and friends, and see you soon. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.